They've been sounding the alarms when I should be putting fires out. Just wanna stay comfortable while I sleep unsafe and sound. And they all tried to warn me, but they didn't say enough. And now the building is collapsing while I should be waking up. And I know it's not as scary with my eyes closed. I'll be gone before anyone knows. Welcome to Charging the Mound. Uh, you just heard the song Fire Sale by Keep Flying uh, off of their upcoming record, Survival, coming out December 18th. Uh, Keep Flying is a band I've touted on here before, but I, you know, I'd be remiss if I didn't do it again because they're taking the pop punk scene by storm. Uh, if, if you're interested in them, if you've liked what you've heard so far, you should jump on that train before it leaves the station because they're taking off soon. Today's a really special episode I'm really excited about. I've got a very, very special guest today. I'm joined by Jessica Blaylock. She is from Fox Sports Florida, where she is the in-game reporter for the Miami Marlins and Florida Panthers. Jessica, thank you for stopping by, and uh, how you doing today? I am great. I am missing baseball. Is it too early to say that? <laughs> I was actually kind of missing baseball about two minutes after the last pitch of the World Series. <laughs> same, same. And even even hockey now. It's so weird to have a November with no hockey. Oh, absolutely. I kind of feel like I'm back in the couple of months leading up to baseball where mm-hmm. everything was kind of ambiguous as far as the number of games we were going to play Uh, when we were going to start, what the season was going to look like as far as teams that you were going to play. So everything is kind of, you know, 2.0, but now it's hockey instead Mm -hmm. of baseball. But hopefully, hopefully we know in the next couple of weeks or so what hockey is going to look like and when it's going to start. Yeah, because we don't even have a start date. Uh, There's there's issues with travel with Canada. So there's rumors of just a Canadian uh, division. yeah, uh, a lot is up in the air, but hopefully, like you said, hopefully we get everything sorted out soon. Uh, I know that you've been with Fox Sports Florida as the Marlins in-game reporter since 2015. Is that correct? Yeah, I just finished my sixth season, which okay. is crazy to think about. I mean, it right. honestly feels like I just started covering the Marlins a year ago and obviously a lot has happened in the last six seasons Mm -hmm. but I mean that in a good way because I genuinely enjoy what I do and every season in its own way is so much fun and I feel so blessed to get to cover a sport that I love and um so you know they always say time flies when you're having fun and I've had an absolute blast being Uh, one of the Marlins in-game reporters and hosting and getting to travel with the team, you know, obviously not this year, but Mm -hmm. um, so in a way it just, it really seems like the last six seasons have absolutely flown by. Right. And how did you get to, to the Marlins? Like, tell me about your path uh, through your, your journey in sports broadcasting. Yeah, it actually, I'll try and tell this as quickly as I possibly can but it kind of extends all the way back to when I was in middle school. I took a journalism class in seventh grade as an elective. I absolutely fell in love with it and knew, you know, as what a a 12 year old that I wanted to be a journalist. And then in high Mm -hmm. school, uh, I was 
grew up a huge Gators fan. I ended up going to the University of Florida. Uh, my junior year of high school, fell in love with the Florida Gator basketball team that lost mm-hmm. to Michigan State in the finals um, and said, you know what, how much fun would it be to cover sports? So that's when I decided I want to do sports journalism. Went to the University of Florida, uh, was lucky enough to get a job with ESPN behind the scenes right out of college. Mm. Spent five years with them. They helped me shoot things at different college campuses around the country, edit a a professional looking resume reel, even though I had never actually done any (laughs) on camera work. Sent that to Fox Sports Florida. They took a chance on a young kid with no experience. I have been with them for I think 10 years now covered the NBA for five seasons and then for the past five plus years I've had the opportunity to cover baseball and hockey so it's been quite a ride that I am so incredibly grateful for that's that's awesome and and just the uh I guess the termination of just following uh everything you wanted to do from from point a to point b I think part of it was maybe being a little naive too, to just believe <laughs> if I wanted it badly enough, it would happen. But right. Yeah. But it ended just, up working out. It totally did. And I, I think that's why I, even in, you know, tough seasons where maybe a team isn't winning a ton or whatever it may be, I, ha- I still have no complaints. I'm getting to live out my dream. I'm getting mm-hmm. to do exactly what I always wanted to do. So how could I sit there and ever complain when I have the best seat in the house for baseball and hockey, I get to cover two teams that I absolutely love and love working with and two teams that have been so great to me. Um, and fan the fan base down here, that's been so great to me. So, mm-hmm. I mean, there's still times, even this past season when everything was super weird for baseball and looked different than what we are used to. I would sit there in Marlins park especially during home games and think to myself, I, I feel so lucky to be a part of this. And I feel so lucky to be one of the people that gets to sit in the ballpark yeah. and watch the game in person, because there's so many people who wish they had the opportunity to do that this year. And I got to be one of them. So it's uh, it's, yeah, it's a dream come true. And it's something that I try really hard not to ever take even a second for granted. Yeah. And are you originally from Florida as well? Yes. So I was born and raised in Jacksonville. Okay. Uh, went to college at UF. And then even when I was working behind the scenes for ESPN, I worked as a, um, a freelancer. So I didn't mm-hmm. have to move to Connecticut. Um, I just got to keep living in Florida and I would travel to a different college football or college basketball game every week. Yeah. So to, uh, to go into sports broadcasting and really not have to relocate at all is completely unheard of it broadcasting oh, in general know. so that's that's really really lucky like everything really fell into place for you that's awesome yeah I mean it's so great I, I can drive home and see my family <laughs> you know I, it's just it's nuts that basically my entire career I have yeah just like you said I've been able to stay in the state of Florida because it's so rare not to take a crazy journey across the country in some way, mm-hmm. shape or form for pursuing a career, especially in sports journalism. What have you learned throughout your career in sports broadcasting uh, about yourself, about the business of, of, of broadcasting and about sports in general? Boy, how much uh, time do we have a lot <laughs> for the podcast? Because I could probably spend the next 
24 hours or longer talking about all the things I've learned. Most importantly with myself, I've learned never to let anybody else dictate how I feel about myself. When I always tell people, I don't have a difficult job. I have a job that not everyone could do. A lot of people would probably, when that red light goes on (laughs) uh, and realize you're talking to however many people that are watching and it's live and whatever happens, happens. Um, Maybe not everyone could do that, but I, I loved public speaking, like talking in front of people never bothered me. But you, you work in a very public forum, right? And mm-hmm. nowadays with social media, anyone can weigh in on how they feel about you. They have access to let you know how they feel right. about you. And like I said, I've been really lucky um, with the fan base, especially down here. And, and even when I was uh, covering the magic for Fox Sports Florida, and even when I worked in Jacksonville at a sports talk radio station, infinitely more nice comments, but you still do get the ones where you're like, Ooh, that is really (laughs) not nice. And it's hard, right? When you're first starting out, not to take it Mm -hmm. personally. Um, But I learned really early on, luckily, you know, I'm not going to let anybody else tell me how I should feel about myself or the job that I'm doing. Mm -hmm. Um, If I know that I gave it my best. I worked as hard as I could. Then at the end of the day, whether the broadcast went amazing and I nailed every story Mm -hmm. and my interview was great and everything was awesome and perfect or whether I come home and I'm like, oh my gosh, my mouth was full of marbles. I couldn't get anything out clearly. I wish I would have asked this question in this way. Like, how do I have a job in this business? You know what I mean? Like, as long as I know I worked as hard as I could and did the best job that I could, I'm going to lay my head down on the pillow at the end of the day, proud of what I did. You know, Mm -hmm. nobody's perfect. And it took time to let go of always wanting to be perfect because you never want to make mistakes. But um, those are probably the biggest things I learned with myself are don't let anybody else tell me how I should feel about myself and uh, don't beat yourself up over mistakes. Have grace with yourself and realize nobody's perfect. Everyone, even the best of the best of the best, whoever you think that is in this business, everybody makes mistakes. It's just going to happen. Exactly. It's part of life. Exactly. Um, about sports. I think one of the biggest things I've learned is how much I absolutely love hockey <laughs> and baseball too. But I grew up with, I grew up with a dad who was originally from right outside Boston. So mm. I grew up in a household that was very passionate about baseball. Um, in North Florida, nobody talks about hockey. Yeah, I don't want right. to say nobody. That's not fair, but I mean like. North Florida is so college football centric and so NFL centric with the Jaguars. You just like, we never talked about hockey on Mm -hmm. our sports talk radio station that I worked for. Um, I I knew nothing about hockey, you know, I, I didn't grow up with it in any way, shape or form. And I have had so much fun covering hockey. Hockey is Oh, it's amazing. And even just talking about it makes me miss it so much. If you would ask me in college what I would have expected my career to look like, 100%, I would have said, oh, probably covering a, a college basketball team, 
covering a college football team. Maybe, maybe, maybe NFL. The last two sports I probably would have ever said were baseball and hockey. And it is the most fun I've ever had in my career. So I think the sports thing I've kind of learned is uh, don't always assume what your passion is going to be. Your passion in sports can develop and kind of catch you off guard without you even realizing it. And I will gladly, gladly cover hockey and baseball as long as the Panthers and Marlins would love to have me because I just, <laughs> I love it so much. And, and I just, I'm so grateful for what I get to do because I have so much joy in the job that I get to do and how hockey goes right into baseball in a normal mm -hmm. year. Hockey goes right into baseball. Baseball goes right into hockey. And, um, it's just, it, it, it really has, it's just been the time of my life as far as my career goes. Right. Um, and, and two points I want to go off on really quick on what you said. Well, first off, just as a fan, I do think baseball and hockey are the two best live experiences for sports that, just in in anything yeah um, they're amazing yeah. amazing the, the energy in a, in a hockey arena whether the whether it's a, a lousy team or a great team that's you know going to win the stanley cup there's no better energy in an arena uh, or a stadium than than for the nhl a um, college basketball buzzer beater i think is, is really good very, yes yes um, a college basketball buzzer beater i especially i was so in love with florida gators basketball i mean i still am my all-time favorite sports team was the back-to-back -back national championship gator basketball team mm -hmm. um but but for sure i mean uh, just the the non-stop action in hockey the chess match you know yes. in baseball between pitcher hitter all the strategy that goes into it like hockey and baseball are just two fantastic fantastic sports and experiences for a fan yeah um, and, and another point that you, that you mentioned that I want to, uh, kind of go back to was the existence of social media in today's day and age with sports broadcasting, because, you know, generally you're, I mean, of course, there's going to be people that are saying, oh, you did a great job today. What a, you know, you, you great story today. And then there's also going to be the people that are like, you suck. That was, you know, you're <laughs> yeah. awful. You don't know what you're talking about, <laughs> but even more so. Um, as a woman in broadcasting and in sports broadcasting is another hurdle that you have to jump um, because there's uh, unfortunately in, in sports fandom, there's a lot of uh, sexism and misogyny. Uh, and I'm sure, I'm sure that's, you know, hurled at you uh, quite often. Um, I know I'm, I'm a devil's fan. So I see uh, Amanda Stein, who's the team reporter for the New Jersey Devils. She tweets a lot about mm -hmm. uh, people who say, horrible nasty things to her simply because she's a woman are you able to speak about your experience with that as a woman in sports broadcasting yeah I mean I, I think that there's always going to be things that I w will deal with as a woman that my male counterparts aren't going to have to deal with like mm -hmm. I doubt you know I doubt Paul and Todd are getting tweets about what their makeup looked like on the right. broadcast or whether or not somebody liked their outfit you know what I mean mm -hmm. um but I, I, I really, at the end of the day, I, I, I don't, I don't care if people critique what I look like. It is way, way, way more a dagger in my heart if somebody tells me they think I'm not good at my job than if somebody tells me they think I'm ugly. Because I don't care if you think I'm ugly or pretty or skinny or you know 
whatever it may be. I, I really don't care about any of that. I care so much more about the quality of the content that I'm providing fans. So mm -hmm. if I've seen like a tweet about, like I got a tweet one time from a guy, which it said, um, you need to do something about your eyebrows. And I'm like, really? Like, I just, I mean, it's such a funny example because I'm like, I'm like, that's what you took away from watching, you know, me on a broadcast is that I, maybe I need to pluck my eyebrow. Like I don't, I, to me, it just makes me laugh. Right. Like, mm -hmm. I just think it's funny. And, and all of that stuff rolls off of my back. Like, because I really it kind of goes back to the don't let anybody else determine your self-worth right mm -hmm. or your value like i don't need someone to tell me they think that i'm attractive for me to feel good about myself like so at the same time i'm not gonna let somebody telling me that they think i'm ugly or make a critique about what i look like or wearing or my makeup i'm not gonna let that bother me either the harder stuff to kind of let go of is when someone says like if you're not good at your job and then implies that it's because you're a woman because exactly. I think that's nonsense like yeah. I absolutely think that's nonsense I have always said at the end of the day if you work hard enough to earn trust and respect and you prove to these players and these coaches and these managers that you that deserve you know it, what you're talking about and, you yeah. do the research you do the prep you ask good questions, you show them you care, then you're going to earn that trust and respect. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it, it may as a woman take me a little bit longer because, you know, when I walk into a locker room, when someone sees me, the first thing that stands out is that I'm a woman, right? Like, not that I'm a reporter, I'm a woman. And then I'm a reporter. Like when a guy walks into a locker room, he's just a reporter. Um, yeah you know, it doesn't jump out. Oh, it's a man in the locker room, but it does kind of jump out when it's a woman in a locker room. But again, I, I try really hard to, to not play the, Oh, my, my job is so much harder because I'm a woman. My life is so much harder because I'm a, like, because at the end of the day, I really do believe if I handle my business the right way. And I, and I understand that trust and and respect, they're not just given, you have mm -hmm. to earn those things, then they are eventually going to be earned. And I think that's what's so wonderful about both the Panthers and the Marlins. Uh, I've been with those guys for so long now, that that respect is there, and that trust is there. And it's just such a comfort to walk into the Marlins clubhouse and the Panthers dressing room, and know that I don't have to wonder if they're questioning whether or not I belong. Mm -hmm. Again, that's another thing that I do not take for granted. And I'm just so grateful that it all comes back to having relationships with the Marlins and the Panthers that are just, uh, you know, work was put into them for sure. Work was definitely put into them, mm -hmm. but to know that that trust and that respect um, it's there and it just, it makes it such a safe work space. So totally. Yeah. And it's, and, and yeah, like you said, it's, it's more so about the respect of your peers. Well, and I, and I would give that advice to both males and females, mm -hmm. never, never go into a clubhouse or a dressing room or a locker room and automatically expect that trust and respect are there. Right. Earn, them. you have to earn those, you know, you have to show that you deserve them. 
So work hard, be respectful, be somebody that players can trust. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the rest will fall into place. Totally. Uh, that's a, uh, a really, a really well thought out and, and powerful answer. And I really, I really appreciate you sharing that. Thank you. Um, I want to, I do want to transition to the Marlins who obviously had uh, a really surprising season from a fan standpoint. And maybe, maybe it wasn't surprising to people that are close to the organization like yourself, but uh, I know to fans, especially the beginning of the season when, when they had the COVID outbreak and it didn't look like they were going to get 60 games in. Um, but you know, Don Mattingly pulled everything together with, with, uh, I, I guess, you know, like a band of misfits and, and <laughs> led them to uh, a wild card berth and an, and an NLDS appearance. Well, and I, just to kind of hit on what you mentioned, the two points, I think internally organization wide, the organization wasn't surprised at all because mm-hmm. this has been the plan that's been in place for the past couple of years. This has been what they've been working towards from top to bottom to start to see results, you know, strengthening the minor leagues, uh, getting the right free agents, um, developing pitching, you know, so I think internally from an organizational standpoint, they were not surprised to see success come and the team start to turn the corner. I think what they were able to accomplish is very pleasantly surprising because of what they had to go through at the beginning of the year with all the COVID issues, if that makes sense. Yeah. So it was, it wasn't surprising from expectations internally. It was surprising from everything that they had to overcome as a team. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and really, I mean, boy, you talk about an incredible, incredible story an incredible, incredible season to see the way that guys stepped up when, you know, almost the entire bullpen was on the IL, was on the COVID list (laughs) to lose players like Miguel Rojas for so long, who is such a heart and soul piece of this team, you know, to not have Sandy Alcantara after he made it such an incredible start for opening day. I mean, there were just so many things they had to overcome. So a a weird, bizarre, beautiful, wonderful, crazy, unexpected, somewhat expected. I mean, any adjective (laughs) you want to use to describe this season would probably be accurate because of just everything from start to finish that this team went through and overcame mm-hmm. uh, to have success. And, you know, going off that success and being that, you know, I guess it certainly surprised the league. There was, you know, they, they, and they played with the chip on their shoulders for the entire playoffs with the, the Miami bottom feeders, you know, shirt, uh, like going off of that. Uh, you know, I think that they played with the with the mindset that everybody's doubting us, and so we're going to surprise everybody. And obviously, they did surprise by getting into the playoffs after the. Yeah, and I and I hope after this year, you know, I I get frustrated because people outside of South Florida, the Marlins are such an easy team, you know, to pick yeah. on. They're yeah. such an easy target. It's it's the easy punchline of the joke just like the whole bottom feeders, right? I mean, that was a Philly pregame analyst who said that, mm-hmm. yo, you're supposed to beat the bottom feeders. And it's just, 
people outside of this kind of bubble, I guess we're in, in South Florida, whatever you want to call it, they don't give the Marlins any of the respect that they deserve. And it's probably hard for players and coaches and, and, and Don Mattingly to sometimes filter that out, but I think they did the best thing they possibly could have. And instead of get frustrated about it, they used it as motivation, you know? And so I hope that this season and what the Marlins were able to do finally gets them some of the respect and the credibility that they deserve, you know? And, and, and what's exciting to think about is there's still talent on the way, you know, that this isn't like, we're just starting to kind of scratch the surface of turning the corner. And I think that's one thing that Marlins fans can be really, really excited about is this ownership group, Derek Jeter, you know, they came in and they wanted to build long-term health, right? Not just, Mm -hmm. all right, let's go for it. And then a couple years, we're going to tear everything down and then we're going to go for it. And then we're going to have to suffer for years to come. And then, you know, they wanted to invest um, in, in the minor leagues. They wanted to build it from the ground up. They wanted to build an organization that could have sustainable success year in and year out. And does that Mm -hmm. take growing pains? Absolutely. It takes growing pains. Totally. You know, there was a lot of work that had to be done when they took over, but that's what's so exciting is you start to see the team turning the corner and you know, it's just going to keep getting better and better and better. Yeah. I mean, like you said that there's still a lot more on the way there was, there's still JJ Blade is still in the minor leagues. Right. He was the uh, first round draft pick uh, a year, two years ago and, uh, and really only got a taste of jazz Chisholm so far. Um, right. So it, Jesus know. Sanchez yeah. and all, like still tons of pitching depth and tons of pitching talent. I mean, there is still, yeah, a ton of talent on the way. So it's, it's, it's going to be fun. It's exciting to look <laughs> forward to. So now a, a team that's in this position generally would take this berth and say, you know what, we're only a couple players away. Uh, let's go, let's go spend in free agency. But from the way you're talking, it doesn't sound like that's really in their mindset of let's go get a free agent right now. Uh, is that the case? Well, I'll be interested to see kind of how they handle free agency, because I do think, you know, the hardest thing to, to hit on is pitching, right? Yeah. And the hardest thing to hit on in free agency, I think is pitching because pitching Definitely. is super expensive. You have to overpay for pitching. Yeah. Like, no and, matter and what. We already saw that with the Marlins with uh, Yan Chen a couple of years ago, and it, it right. did not work out for him. So that is the good thing for the Marlins yeah. is they have so much pitching depth Young pitching, and their yeah. rotation. They don't have to worry about going after pitching, um, especially starting pitching. So what I am curious to see Because you still know when you look at the Marlins that they still need a boost offensively. So I I wouldn't be surprised if they feel like they are at the point where it's time if they go and pursue a hot offensive free agent. Mm -hmm. Like I, the guy that I would love to see 
And I don't know if it's realistic. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what the price tag is going to be, you know, what they're going to do with prospects at the position moving forward. But how exciting would it be to get a guy like DJ LeMahieu in your lineup? Yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, coming off of an unbelievable year, obviously a batting title. He's won a batting title twice, once in right. the American League, once in the National League. And he's got a really good chance of being named the MVP this uh, this week. So, I mean, to me, you know, a guy like that, I think there's been some talk about, you know, especially if we're going to see the DH, a Nelson Cruz type. Yeah. Um, you know, so I, I don't know. Uh, I, I don't know what their plans are, you know, it'll, so it'll, it'll be interesting to see one, who they go after that's available based on what they want to spend and how close they feel like they are to really, really making a strong push. Right, right. And then again, how prospects factor into the whole equation and, exactly. and who is ready, especially after missing out on a minor league season you know, who's ready to take that jump. Um, so there's a lot of factors, but it's, it's fun, right? It's fun to talk about <laughs> being in a position to go after yeah. players like a DJ LeMayhew or a Nelson Cruz or whoever it may be. It's so much fun to just be in that position to have conversations about, all right, now you want to compete. You want to, you know, you want to keep turning that corner. So right. I, I think it's a great place to be in right now. Right. And, and you just made a really important point was that there was no minor league baseball this year. And so there's a lot of guys who, who now in the system haven't seen a, 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 a pitch in right. a, a live pitch in over a calendar year. Now um, there's, there's pitchers who haven't seen live batters in over a calendar year now. And so that's really tough for, for young players developments. And so in that case, it's tough to sort of then maybe, maybe call up somebody who may not be ready because spring training alone is not going to be enough, you know, to, to fix the, the year plus that they've been away from the game. Right. And that was probably, I mean, just everything with the minor leagues this year was heartbreaking, right. And brutal because you knew some guys, some guys, it was over for them pursuing their dream with mm -hmm. no minor league season. And, you know, you just hate to see what, what happened and how everything kind of unfolded, but the Marlins especially are one of those teams that it really hurt to yeah. not have a minor league season because, because of where so many you are, players in development, right? Where you are with exactly so many players who are in such a critical point of their development. So yeah, it's it's going to be you know just like you pointed out, it's it's going to be really interesting to see because I think one of the things with the Marlins that was maybe different in the past, they don't want to rush prospects. Totally. They want to let guys develop in the minor leagues and they don't want to call them up until they're ready. You know, how many times have we seen in the past guys have been called up when they're not ready. They're just yeah. not ready for the big league level yet. So, you know, going along with the whole health of the, the organization, sustainable, uh, long-term health that's part of that is letting players develop and calling them up when they are ready so it will be it will be interesting to see how the marlins handle mm -hmm. these prospects that had they had a full minor league season this year 
maybe would have been on the verge of being ready, but, you know, wanting to make sure that they don't get called up until they're 100% ready to go. We may see prospects who we thought would be up by next season, maybe continue to develop in the minor rather than play the big league level. Yeah. Um, And, and I think in that uh, maybe, maybe you see the Marlins go after a couple uh, a couple like one year deals for, for free agents to sort of fill that gap for right. a year while, while a player like, like Jesus chance Sanchez has another year then to develop instead of just throwing him into the major leagues. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Really quickly. Obviously we talked about the rotation, the emergence, the emergence of Sixto Sanchez and Daniel Castano among others and the improved importance of Sandy Alcantara. So uh, obviously there's a lot of uh, hope with the rotation and those young arms. Uh, everybody in the rotation right now is 25 and under. So there's a lot to look forward to. Like we were talking about, there's a lot to look forward to with this, with this team uh, in terms of their starting rotation. Uh, when, you know, maybe that wasn't the case five years ago after the untimely passing of Jose Fernandez. Right, right. That was, you know, obviously with the passing of Jose, I mean, that's that's something that alters your organization mm-hmm. for years and years. You know, a, yeah. a once in a losing a, a once in a lifetime pitcher would have won multiple Cy Young awards would have been a future hall of famer. Definitely. Uh, so it, it takes time to recover from something like that. Um, and it's why you saw some of the moves that were made. That's kind of when you think, when you think Marlins and things that you should absolutely be excited about starting rotation has to be at the top of the list, Totally. you know, whether it is Sandy who has, really developed that aggressive mentality on the mound and taken ownership of being the ace of the staff, Mm -hmm. you know, going from hoping his stuff was good enough to believing it and knowing his stuff is good. Yeah. Being hitters. Yeah. Um, Whether it's Pablo Lopez, who with the way that he was able to develop the change up Mm -hmm. and effectively use that this season, whether it is, Sixto Sanchez and all the hype that we've seen and then to see him be able to make his debut to see him be able to throw you know triple digits right. uh, to see that he was as good as we hoped he would be and obviously you know there's going to be some still some learning curves with a guy like Sixto yeah. the league's going to adjust to him he's going to have to adjust to the league and so yeah. forth but to see the raw talent that is there. Yeah. I I mean, the starting rotation is definitely one of those things you look at and you're like, all right, they've got the pitching to compete with anybody, not only in the NL East, but you know, in the league. So uh, that having pitching in place is the biggest thing. And now you're at a, a great spot where you, you continue to build around what you have with your rotation mm-hmm. um, and start to really just, just really, really have some fun with baseball here in South Florida. Totally. And it's, I, I think it's going to be a really, uh, a really good time for Marlins fans. Finally, uh, obviously they thought in uh, 20, uh, 
geez, 2012, I think it was when they, when they made all those signings for Jose Reyes and Mark Burley. And it, it looked like, Hey, this is, we're, we're turning the corner. We're finally going to be going for the playoffs again. Uh, didn't work out. Then obviously with, you had Stanton and Ozuna and Yelich and Real Muto, and it didn't work out. I think this is finally uh, going to be a time where there's going to be some good happening for Marlins fans in Marlins baseball um, moving forward. I, I think, I think uh, there's a lot of positivity with what Derek Jeter's doing as owner. Um, and, and I think we're, there's going to be a winning culture there very soon. Yeah. Without a doubt. And, and again, that starts from, you know, that starts from the top, that expectation that you're always going to compete, that you go out there to play, to win, um, you know, and that trickles all the way down. It's on the big league level. It's on the minor league level with their captain's camp and the way that they bring prospects up with that winning mentality. Um, you know, and it's, it's, a really, really good culture that is being built. It's a, it's a clubhouse full of players that most importantly want to be in a Marlins uniform. Yeah. And that's the number one thing. And they love playing for each other and they love playing for Don Mattingly. I was just going to say, yeah, you know, they, every seem, everyone seems to have completely bought into what Mattingly's doing there yes. and what Jeter's doing there. And everybody seems to be on the same page. And, that, and that's huge in terms of building uh, team chemistry. Yeah. And they are playing for each other. You know, yeah. they're not, they aren't playing for another team to prove, you know, we're better than you or to this or that, or what, I mean, they are playing for one another. And, and even not this past season, but last year, I remember being in San Francisco and like where I sit, it, it's kind of open to the dugout and it was late in the year, obviously, you know, tough record. Mm -hmm. um, and these guys are just still having so much fun in the dugout together and they're laughing and they're enjoying playing the game. And I remember the security guard who was standing by me he looked at me and he was like, do these guys always have this much fun <laughs> together? And I, I looked at him and I was like, honestly, yeah, they do because they like playing with each other. Yeah. Um, so I think that was another reason why this year was just so satisfying because you've had guys in that clubhouse, like a Miguel Rojas, like a Brian Anderson, you know, who have gone through some really tough seasons, Don Mattingly, who obviously has gone through some really tough seasons as manager. Yeah. So just to see these guys have fun playing and have success on the field, I was just so happy for them and, and so proud of everything that they were <laughs> able to do. And, you know, to, to get to the playoffs, to beat, you know, to beat the Yankees to secure their spot. Right. Um, I was just so happy for them. So happy for them. So yeah, this, I'm going to look back on this season and no matter how bizarre it looked, I'm always going to remember this one as just a really special one to have been a part of. Totally. And I, I with that, I kind of want to just go off onto the Panthers a little bit. This is, this is a baseball podcast, but I don't mind talking about other sports. So like, as we stated before, you are the in-game reporter for the Panthers as well, the Florida Panthers. Um, and they sort of had an interesting off season 
They lost a key piece in Evgeny Dadunov to the Ottawa Senators. Mike Hoffman remains unsigned. Do you think there's a possibility of maybe circling back and possibly working something out with him? Or does it seem like it may be leaning elsewhere? Yeah, I would... I would love to, and I think a lot of Panther fans would love to see Mike Hoffman come back and play yeah. for the Florida Panthers. I think that was kind of one of the big questions uh, throughout last season, right? Knowing that Dadnov and Hoffman were both going to become free agents at the end of the year, were you going to focus on one of those guys in particular to sign? And if so, you were going to have to let the other one walk. Well, right. like you mentioned, Evgeny Dadnov ended up signing a great deal with the Ottawa Senator. So yeah. congratulations to him. And Mike Hoffman, uh, there's still, you know, probably talks with several teams. Um, I, I think the longer Hoffman goes without signing with the team, the better the chances are that he might end up back with the Panthers. Sure. But I think the biggest thing that you really wanted to do this offseason and and we've seen it through the moves that the Panthers have made right more physical a more gritty a tougher team to play mm-hmm. against especially defensively sure and you know you go and you sign a guy like Radko Gudis who's going to be a pest on the ice you go yeah. and you sign a guy like Patrick Hornquist who knows how to win and plays all out hates losing you know Mm -hmm. absolutely hates losing you you look you look at a lot of the the signings that were made and you're gonna see a more physical a tougher Florida Panthers team to play against now where you're gonna make up for that scoring that Hoffman and Dadnov obviously contributed you know maybe a couple of of guys that are already on the team, pick up a little bit of the slack when it comes to scoring. Um, Maybe you're not done yet. Maybe you do end up getting Hoffman back. Maybe that ends up working out. We'll see. That's all yet to be determined. But what the Panthers have done so far, I love it. I absolutely love it. And I cannot wait to see so many of these new, new additions to the team in action. Yeah. I mean, you, you kind of answered my, my next question because I was going to ask what is the identity of the Florida Panthers going forward. But, you know, like you said, it's going to be a, a tough team to play against. They really built up the defense and they built up even the forwards, like bringing in Patrick Hornquist um, and 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 trading Mike Matheson, uh, you know, sort of getting rid of a big piece on their defense to get somebody like Hornquist to sort of build up that toughness on, on one of the top two lines and make it hard to come into, to, to Florida and play Mm -hmm. the Panthers. Love Um, that they were able to come to terms with Mackenzie Weger, you know, had career year this past season, career high in points, career high in goals, a guy that is not afraid to drop the gloves, a guy Mm -hmm. that plays tough, that plays physical. Um, So yeah, that's, you know, the, the Panthers did not have issues scoring goals. No, no. that that was not ever the problem. Um, You know, the problem on occasion were, you know, maybe some defensive issues, but I think that's what they really wanted to address. um, And I think that they did do that yeah and i mean obviously you they've even even if they do end up losing hoffman which again 
Uh, certainly a possibility as time continues to go on and he remains unsigned that they circle back and maybe sign a one-year deal or something. But uh, you've still got Jonathan Huberto. You've still got Alexander Barkov. Right. Uh, two, two huge contributors in terms of, uh, you know, the offensive game. Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, we've seen, you know, year in and year out what Barkov and Huberto are capable of. And, and not only when it comes to scoring, uh, but facilitating as well, you know, with the assists. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it'll be interesting to see with no Dadnov how that top line ends up shaking out for the Florida Panthers. So, yeah. um, you know, still probably some moves, some happenings that are going to be leading up to the start of, uh, of hockey season. But I can't wait. I just, I cannot wait until we can drop the puck. I keep counting down the days until we can potentially have hockey again soon uh the you know getting getting to watch uh playoff hockey at noon every single day really really spoils you oh for sure I know and it was so crazy because the way that everything kind of got scheduled so much of the playoffs were happening when I was working baseball games so Mm -hmm. I really didn't get to watch nearly as much playoff hockey as I normally would have tried to. I mean, I know playoff hockey usually always coincides with the normal start of baseball season, but I feel like I usually have either more nights off or maybe we're not working as many double headers. <laughs> so I'm not leaving for the ballpark at nine o'clock in the morning. Um, but yeah, it just, it was, it was crazy because I thought to myself, Oh, this is going to be great. We're going to have hockey. We're going to have baseball at the same time. I'm going to wake up. I'm going to watch a hockey game at 11 or 12. Then I'm going to watch another hockey game at two. Then I'm going to watch a baseball game at four and like, and yes, there were definitely some days where it ended up working out like that, but um, it was crazy how much playoff hockey I ended up missing uh, because I was at the ballpark, but you know, as, as much as it, it pains you. You got to say congratulations to the lightning. I mean, they were, totally. they, they were just dominant all year, a great team. And it was, it was cool. Definitely cool to watch, uh, to watch what they were able to accomplish. Yeah. And on a grander scale, what the league was able to accomplish with the bubble, yeah. uh, th- that it worked no positive cases throughout the entire playoffs right. was absolutely incredible. Yeah, the NHL did a tremendous, tremendous job with uh, with the playoffs and the postseason, the bubbles in Toronto and Edmonton, and mm-hmm. just the way that they were able to uh, to execute everything. It, it was so well done, and and props to those guys, and and the same with NBA players. Yeah, I'm sure having to be in that bubble for so long. Of course, you want to be there as long as you possibly can <laughs> because it means you're advancing. But, you know, that's time away from your family. That's time away from all of the comforts of possibly, you know, being at home or, or whatever it may be. And, and it's tough. I'm sure it's it's really tough after a while. So, you know, well done really by, by everybody uh, throughout all of that, because I'm sure it was not easy. Yeah. And that, that the, you know, that's a really good point that I think a lot of fans maybe miss you know, or lose track of is, is the... Uh, the whole part of missing their families. These were guys who were away from their families for the better part of two months, uh, maybe three months, you know, in the bubble and maybe a lot of players with, with newborn kids missing the, you know, those important, you know, watching their child grow. Right. Yeah. Well, and, and that's a story, you know, and even, even further, not just 
guys in the bubble. I mean, for baseball season, sure. you know, when Miguel Rojas came back from that crazy long road trip, he had to quarantine. Mm-hmm. Um, and he has a young son, Aaron. He has a wife who is expecting, uh, they're expecting a little girl. That's time away from his family, Chad Wallach and his wife. They have a young daughter who is not even a year old. He had to miss seeing her for weeks. So, I mean, it's, it is sacrifices that are made by players and it it's, it's not easy. I, and I think that's the biggest thing. I, I don't think people realize during the course, especially in a normal 162 game season, how much time players spend away from their families, whether they're on the road, uh, whether they're getting to the ballpark at one o'clock um, to start preparing for a seven o'clock first pitch. I, I mean, it's a lot. It's a lot, a lot. I, that, and that's why, especially during a baseball season, the team essentially becomes your family mm-hmm. because you're just, you're spending so much time together. Um, so yeah, it just, all the sacrifices that that guys have made, whether it was in hockey, whether it was in the NBA, whether it was this baseball season and, and kind of everything that teams went through with all the COVID regulations and, and all of that. I mean, it really, it, it was a feat in any sport. Without a doubt. Yeah. Um, I want to, I want to thank you for taking the time to speak with me tonight. Um, you know, where can, where can everybody find you on social media, on Instagram and Twitter? On Twitter, I am at Jess Blaylock. On Instagram, I think it's at Jess L. Blaylock. I, I, I don't do great with posting on Instagram. When I do post <laughs> on Instagram, it's normally pictures of my dogs. Um, so totally feel free to judge. No problem there. Um, and then uh, hopefully, hopefully once we get going with hockey again, um, start to be way more active again on, on social media <laughs> for, uh, for Twitter and so forth. I'm so boring these days. I mean, I should just live tweet, like, you know, binge watching a Netflix show or something, because that's pretty much that and hanging out with my dogs is pretty much what I've been <laughs> up to for the past couple of weeks. So other than that, right now, I'm very, very boring. Just Desperately very- waiting for January 1st to come. <laughs> yeah, we are, we are counting down the days in the Blaylock household to the start of hockey season. Exactly. Well, thank you again for, for talking to me. I really appreciate it. Um, yeah, thank you for your time. No problem. Thanks for having me. Thanks again uh, to Jessica Blaylock for coming on and talking to me. Uh, really appreciate it. Super cool of her to take time out of her day uh, to speak with me on the podcast uh, and tell me about her experiences in the uh, industry um, and her experience as a woman in broadcasting uh, and in sports really informative, really well-spoken. She was awesome. Thanks again so much, and I hope you guys all uh, all look, at, look her up and, and follow her on social media. She's, she's great. And thank you guys for listening, and we will catch you another time. There's no aftershock Cause it feels like a constant earthquake Make it stop Cause I just need to